0: Well, good morning. The Holy Spirit orchestrates every moment of our lives for the good. And he ministers to us in ways that we don't even know and can't anticipate. And that statement may not have bearing on you right now. But let me just uh, say, as a church, it has a great deal of bearing, um, because this uh, past week, uh, one of our staff members, our team members, Joshua Pumprey, was uh, died in a result of a bike accident, and uh, he was the guy that was in charge of building all the infrastructure, the sound, lights, and everything you experience today, he had his hand in, and uh, his wife, uh, Tanya, and her family, and Joshua's family, they're here, and Tanya and Josh were just married three weeks ago. And I, and I, just, I just wanna say that to, to put, put everything in perspective of what you just heard today, musically. Because it, it does, it's really interesting that just by a decision we made a few weeks ago, that Matt would stay here, that we would do certain songs, and that this would all come together in a way that really is for the glory of God. And at the end of the service, we're going to have some prayer for their family and, uh, uh, and just lift them up uh, before the Lord. Amen? And you know, what we do as a church is never separated from reality. It's always tied to real life. And whether it's ministering to a family in grief, feeding a family that's hungry, celebrating during a time of wedding, or any other event, the church is essential. I've read, you've read, you've heard stories about those who go through tragic experiences of loss and they cannot gather together to love, to encourage, to be community. And one of the reasons that we believe that it's essential that we stayed open during this season, regardless what the dictates were from Sacramento, was because we believe that the church is supposed to gather. We're supposed to minister. We're supposed to care for one another and love one another and and just be able to minister. And Tanya, I'll just say I love you so much and I can't even imagine the grief you're going through right now, but we're here for you as much as we can be, and, uh, and, and that means everything for us to do that, okay? And uh, just for the families, thank you for being here, and, and thank you for allowing us to be a part of your life. The church is so essential that when we say it's tied to reality, it is. Since COVID began, I, I stated this last week, one out of every four college students has contemplated suicide because of loneliness. You never can make a cure somehow worse than what's going on in life. You can't, you can't create another part of the world and isolate them and separate them and then expect everybody to be normal. You know, we've had warnings all through the Bible about what the future would look like. We've had those who were novelists, like George Orwell, who wrote, now more than 60 years ago, a book called 1984, in which he envisioned a world that is the world we're living in today. So not only the biblical prophets, but let's say the prophets of literature and science fiction projected a day that would be so odd and so unusual that only the pen of a movie scriptwriter could put on paper or put in film what we're living today. Maybe you've been touched by it directly. Maybe it's indirectly you've been touched by the days that we're living in. But make no, make no mistake in all of this that's happening in our world today. It is prophetic in nature. It is more than a health issue. It's more than that. Uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower gave his final address on January 17, 1961. It was a warning and he said this, and I quote, scientific, technological elite, similar to today's global big tech and pharma industries. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose, insidious in method, and indefinite in duration. Now remember, he wrote this 60 years ago. He gave this speech 60 years ago, and he saw it coming. He went on to say, the potential for disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or our democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. We must also be alert to the danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. You and I and our government must avoid the impulse to live only for today. If that line right there isn't enough to remind us as Christians that what you took for granted yesterday, you can no longer take for granted tomorrow. The things that you said somebody will take care of that, somebody smarter, somebody wiser, somebody more better, better position will take care of that, those days are gone. He went on to say, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow. Think back in your life how many times church was viewed as a baseball game. Let me explain. There's so many games, we can always pick up one next time. Never quite understood baseball having that many games. 100 plus games, you could miss 75 and still feel good. Church is a little bit like that. In times past, people say, Oh, you know, I'm going there, I'm gonna do this, I can always pick up church next week. But I want you to know that since this lockdown happened, in California, only about 1,500 churches have opened their doors out of 40,000 churches in California alone. So where you are today, what you're doing today is a very unusual thing in California. While we somehow work through lockdown, our governor enjoys a delicious dinner at a luxurious restaurant called French Laundry, and tells us what we should do. Last time I read the Constitution, it said we the people. It doesn't say you the president, you the governor, you the senator, you the congressman, it says we the people. You see, the framers of our Constitution understood tyranny on a scale that was beyond imagination. Fleeing that place came to America to establish something different, a constitutional republic that would be based on the citizens, those who would rule the country would be the citizens. Eisenhower went on to say, we cannot mortgage our grandchildren's material assets without risking the loss also of their political and spiritual heritage. We want democracy to survive for all generations to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. Words well spoken. If we don't know our history, it's hard to understand where we've been and what's been said about our future. One of the things that we endeavor to do is to help you understand your history and then put it in the framework of biblical authority and understanding so that you're reading, you're reading what's happening out here in the world and you're always looking at it with the other hand reading the word of God saying what does the Bible say? Is it applicable and how does it connect to all, the, all these pieces? Well, I want you to know the Bible is always relevant. Amen? It doesn't need to be revised. It doesn't need to be renewed. It doesn't need another publishing to try to figure out what's wrong with it. It is the breath of Almighty God. It is the Word of God spoken and written, and Jesus is the living Word himself. We're living in an age of confusion. That's our day. It is an age of confusion. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he wrote in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he said, See to it, that no one takes you captive. Now I wanna just pause right there for a moment. Paul said there are going to be those who are going to put you in prison, so to speak. They're gonna take you captive. And here's how they're going to do it. By philosophy and empty deceit. Now there's a good aspect of philosophy, but most philosophy is anti-God. Someone described philosophy as being uh, the word spoken in a dark room by a blind man who, who couldn't get out the door. It is just There's just an emptiness there. Yeah, Where do I go with this? But it says, according to human tradition. You see, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I think really the, the way that we've, we've done in the past, that needs to change. We need to go ahead and operate this way. What makes the most sense? Let's go ahead and decide by a consensus of the elite what the future should look like. But how hopeless and helpless is that? He said, according to the elemental spirits of the world. This is talking about demonic spirits who influence our thinking and not according to Christ. So what happens is, you're going to be swayed one way or the other. You're either gonna be swayed by the power and the word of God, or you're gonna be swayed by the elementary spirits, the philosophy, and empty deceit, and you're gonna be held captive. You get to choose. See, the great thing about being created in the image of God is you have the freedom to choose your future. You can choose life, or you can choose to go down another road. But if you choose the right road, the road of life, you're going to see things that you've never seen before. God's going to give you wisdom in the mind of Christ to be able to understand and interpret today's events in light of what the Word of God has to say. That's why it's important for you to enrich yourself in the word of God, to grow up in all ways that you might be mature and strong and not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine as children, but rather be mature with the mind of Jesus Christ. It says, For in him that is Christ dwells all the fullness of bo- in bodily form, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. Now this age of confusion, I'm just gonna touch on a couple of things. We could spend a week on this subject, but let me just talk about relativism here for a moment. To have a relative mindset is to be able to look at things and say, everything works. Everything works. If it's true for you, it's true for me. Here's the the definition. All points of view are equally valid. So you have the socialist, you have the communist, you have that one who believes in democracy. You have that one who believes in anarchy. All are true with this mindset. It's true for you, it must be true. This means that all moral positions, all religious systems and all art forms, all political movements are true. Are you living that out today? Have you heard people say, well that may be good for you but you know that's really not my perspective. You see, there is either absolute truth or there, there is not absolute truth. What is absolute truth? It means that God has set a standard, God has revealed truth to us, and that is infallible. It always stands, it always works, it's always right. He was the great lawgiver who gave truth. If you don't have that, then everything is subject to this idea, it's relative. And so if you believe that exterminating six million Jews during World War II is correct, then you're right. If you believe aborting babies is okay because they're not really human, then that's okay because that's a relative position. Or you believe in absolute truth that God is a revealer of truth. Remember, Jesus made a pretty bold statement. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He didn't say, I am a way, I'm kind of the truth, and you might find some life in me. He was either Lord, or he was a lunatic, because he claimed to be God of very God. He was not crucified for walking on water, feeding uh, the hungry, He was not crucified for any of those things. He was not even crucified for claiming to be Messiah. He was crucified for claiming to be God. The Jews said, you, being a man, make yourself to be God. Yes, he is God in the flesh. Because it took a perfect sacrifice of God in human flesh to pay the price for your sin. Because you always come short, I always come short of the glory of God, but Jesus never did. Though tempted in all ways, the Bible said, yet he was without sin. The sinless God-man hung on a cross for your sins, past, present, and future, and rose from the dead to give you eternal life. George Orwell has become another reading chapter for me. I've gone back now and reread 1984 a couple of times But listen to what he said, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Who would ever think that claiming that liberty is important for Americans would be a revolutionary act? Who ever thought saying that free speech is important for Americans would be a revolutionary act? We're living in that day. The second thing is groupthink. Groupthink is conformity and agreement becomes the most important aspect of behavior. And the way that this is controlled is by a cancel culture. So if you're not thinking like me, I'm gonna cancel you, I'm gonna persecute you, I'm I'm gonna do something evil to you because you're not thinking like I think. I want you to see this video and then we'll comment on it afterwards. It illustrates this truth pretty good. But we, we are concerned about the trouble and trend of irresponsible, one sided news stories plaguing our country. Country. plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too, too common, common on social media. On social media. More alarming, yes. some media outlets are polished, that are true without checking facts first. first. Unfortunately, some members of the media th- use their platforms to push, push their, their own personal bias and agenda to control the exactly, exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 You ever feel like you're being played? That was 30 different channels, all with exactly the same script. If this isn't an age of confusion, I don't know what is. We set out in July to launch American Faith. If you want to go there, it's AmericanFaith.com to try to break through some of the garbage that's in our world today. And uh, in the days ahead, you're going to hear more about it, but we intend to be another voice of reason and revelation in our world. I believe we're living in the age of the most essential church. How about that? I don't believe there's ever been a time in history where the church has been more essential than it is today because never have we been closer to the return of Christ. Never have we seen what we're seeing today happen in our world. And we have to be the most essential church that we've ever been. You have to be the higher caliber of Christians than you've ever been. You have to be more prayed up, you have to be in the word more, you have to be fasting more, you have to be standing against evil more than you ever have before, and the time for you to stand in the background is gone. That day is over. It's time for the church to rise up, amen? It's time for us to be counted. It's time for us to give glory to God. It's time, it's time, it's time. Amen? In 1 Peter chapter four, verses 12 through 14, listen to what the word of God says. Beloved, do not think it strange. You ever thought things were strange today? You ever thought it's strange that the church is under-persecuted in, in America? He said, do not think it strange concerning the fire, fiery trial which is to try you. Fiery trials are designed to try you. I don't like fiery trials. Oh, I don't either. I mean, if you've got a multiple choice fiery trial, you know, no problems, lots of money, lots of friends, everybody loves me. Which box do you check? I don't check that second box. I mean, I'm checking. I mean, I'll check that first. I'm checking the second box. I want to be just loved by everybody, liked by everybody, always have money. Everybody loves Jesus. I walk up, and they don't even ask. I don't even have to say anything. go, would you tell me about Jesus? That world doesn't exist. He says, don't think it's strange. Why? Because fiery trials are to try you. Why do I need to be tried? Because you're not pure. See, trying has to do, the the metaphor there is taking gold and trying it, that is, testing it, heating it up seven times so that 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 gold reflects the glory of God. When you get heated up, when you get put in a trial, guess what? The stuff that doesn't matter falls away. Am I right? He says, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. I can't believe I'm going through this. Well, believe it. Jesus said this to Peter. Peter, Satan's desire is to sift you like wheat but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. I don't know about you, I'd rather have a different version of that one. How about this? Phil, Satan's desire is to sift you like wheat, but I'm not gonna let it happen. Why did Peter need to go through the sifting like wheat to to get the grain separated from the chaff? To bring out the pure, to bring out the best in us? And he, says, he goes on to say, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed. you know what that is? That's the return of Christ. When his glory is revealed, when you see Christ as he is, 1 John chapter 3, you will be like him. When his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Go to work, you talk about Christ, somebody gives you a hard time, you come back and you whine about it. He says, rejoice. It's so good somebody persecuted me today at work. So good somebody wouldn't listen to me today at school. Oh, yeah, we don't have that anymore. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. What happens when you're persecuted and you have a good attitude? It says the spirit and the glory of God rests on you. Do you see that? What happens if I, if I don't receive it with that attitude? The spirit and the glory of God can't rest on me. I don't know about you, but I want the glory of God resting on me and on this house and on our families and on our communities, amen? And even though we go through fiery trials, even though the, the onslaught of the enemy comes against us, guess what, we're going to stand in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, amen? But look what he says, on their part, he is blasphemed. You see, there's two worlds here, right? There's the saints and the ain'ts. There's those who know God and love God and those who don't. And it says, guess what? If you're rejoicing in the name of Christ, guess what? There's just as many people or more on the other side who are blaspheming the name of God. But on your part, He is glorified. I just want God to be glorified in me. How about you? I don't know what your prayer is when you come in and the worship starts. My prayer is always, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, come in your fullness and your power. Holy Spirit, just glorify the Lord Jesus Christ right now that should be our prayer been an interesting time I was my wife and I were talking on the way to church today and I was saying you know it's, there's been so much happen it just almost some of the things we did and were almost weird and they were so radical I, I remember that during that lockdown we Tammy came up with this idea, let's just do a, a drive and park and give God the glory. And so many of you were here, and there's just a long line of cars that came and we just stopped. We parked and we had a, you know, we had a drone flying overhead just to kind of show people. And that was radical. That was radical. I want to be radical. How about you? I just want to be radical. I want people to just to go, you're one of those radical Christians. Go, yes and I'm growing in momentum, I'm not slowing down. Let me take you back to April 27th. Attorney General, uh, Attorney General Barr said this, the Constitution is not suspended in times of crisis. He's referring to the First Amendment. Just because you have a crisis doesn't mean we threw out the Constitution. And then let me just follow up with another comment that happened, another statement. Uh, by Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, this was the New York case where the Supreme Court overruled uh, New York's stand against religious institutions gathering. It was a big victory. It was a 5-4 to victory. It would not have happened without our newly elected Supreme Court member. Can I tell you, local elections matter because that's who gets senators and congressmen elected. That's who get representatives and mayors and governors elected. Never, never underestimate local government. But listen to what he said. It is time past to make plain that while the pandemic poses many grave challenges, there is no world in which the Constitution tolerates a color-coded executive edicts that reopened liquor stores and bike shops but shuttered churches, synagogues, and mosques. If you can't put your hands together for that, I don't know what you can. But I also think it's an age of the overcomer. How many of you want to be an overcomer? Right? I don't want to be overcome, I want to be an overcomer. Romans chapter eight, verse 31, if God is for us, Let's say it together. If God is for us, who can be against us? When you get God on your team, you're gonna win. I played football in ninth grade with Bob Galloway. Bob Galloway was the biggest human being that ever lived. I was the second largest human being and I underweighed him by 100 pounds. So when it came to drills like carrying Bob Galloway, I was the guy that had to carry Bob Galloway. Bob Galloway weighed about 270 in ninth grade. I don't care who you are. That's a big boy. And I'd get him on my back. My legs would start to quiver. You know, and I'd complain to the coach. He'd call me a wimp, call me all kinds of names. You can't call them people now, but it motivated me. But guess what? When we had Bob, we had a whole line. Bob was like four other ninth graders. We always won. We had Bob on our team. We got Jesus on our team. Amen. We're going to win all the time. All the time, we're going to win. Just because you get set back doesn't mean you're not got. You don't have a comeback in you. Romans chapter eight thirty five. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? The obvious answer is no. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril or sword? No, nothing will separate you from his love. You're his child. You've been born and brought into the kingdom by the blood of the lamb. You are born again. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, principalities, or powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen to that? Let me give you some things that I think overcomers do. Overcomers look for solutions in every problem. We are never going to get out of problems, people. It's just part of being human. Problems will challenge us on every hand. But you're an overcomer. Overcomers, prepare for the next giant. You know, David didn't pick up five stones for no purpose. When he faced Goliath, he only needed one but if you read the biblical narrative more, you'll understand that Goliath had four brothers. He had a stone for every brother. Guess what? You take care of the giant in your life, and his friends and brothers leave you alone because you've been challenged with the power of God. Overcomers develop their potential. This is a time for some of you to birth new things in your life. Not to, not to try to look back and try to regain what you lost, but say, how can I develop the potential that God has put in me? How can I create something new? How can I move forward in this world where it has changed radically? I am created in the image of God. I have creativity. I have power. I have mind. I have authority. I have dominion. I have all of these things. It's a time for God to birth in you. I'm praying right now God is birthing in some of you new visions, new dreams, new hopes, new life, new resources, new friends, new colleagues, new things, that God is going to do a new thing today. Amen? Overcomers pick their battles carefully. Not every battle is worth fighting. You pick the ones that are going to be strategic in your life and move you forward. You let somebody else pick the, the, the take care of the smaller battles. You pick your battles very, very carefully. You are not meant to be in every fight. What's the most important fight for you to be in? You have to figure that one out. Overcomers outlast their enemies. They just outlast them. They just never give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. When I was in uh, sixth grade, my buddy Lee Daniels, who was a good friend, he and I challenged the man on the other side of the fence to a wrestling match. And uh, we thought we were pretty tough. We knew we were in trouble when he took one hand, threw both legs over the fence, and said, Let's go for it, boys. He turned us every way but loose. We were crying like babies. I couldn't wait to get loose. It was a great moment in my life. You know why? When we got done, you know what he said to me? He said, Your problem is you gave up too soon. You gave up too soon. He said, I was getting tired. You guys quit. Don't be a quitter. Best day of my life. Don't be a quitter. You might fall down, get back up. You might get punched in the nose, straighten it. Amen? I don't know if you're an overcomer. And by an overcomer, I mean I don't know if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior yet. I want you to know that opportunity is for you today, for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm not talking about going in name or attending church. I'm talking about have you met the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world? Have you met him? Today can be that day of introduction to you. We do that by prayer. I'm just going to invite you, wherever you are, whether you're sitting here, you're standing, whether you're at our outside venue or you're online, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer like this one. If you say, well, Pastor, I've already prayed that prayer, then pray that prayer with somebody else this week. That's your mission. Amen? Prayer goes like this, and just repeat out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried in a tomb according to the Scriptures that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And by faith, I trust you this morning as my Lord, as my Savior, as my King. If that was your prayer, in your own words, would you just thank him? Would you say, thank you, Lord Jesus? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. See, the promise is a promise of faith. And when you put your faith in God, he keeps his promise to bring you into his eternal kingdom, amen, amen.